This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Have you noticed the number of grocery stores that are adding restaurants to their operations? Whole Foods has had it for quite a bit of years, but now more traditional grocers are using them to attract customers. But will this, in the end, slow down the rush of shoppers getting their food staples online? We asked that and more of Wharton marketing lecturer Jason Reese, who joins us here in studio. And on the phone joining us is Boston University professor Chris Mueller of the School of Hospitality Administration. Jason, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. Good morning. Thank you. Chris, great to have you on the phone with us. Oh, it's exciting. Thanks for asking me. Thank you. Uh, Jason, I find this interesting. I mean, as I mentioned, Whole Foods has had a, a version of this, but we're starting to see almost a push to have kind of upscale restaurants in some of these grocery locations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of the trend companies, NPD and Technomic, uh, have said that the percentage of prepared foods uh, sold from these stores is increasing um, 10% or so a year and has been for many years. Um, Kroger recently announced that they're going to be adding um, a a chain of restaurants that they're developing into their stores. Whole Foods, uh, as you mentioned at the top, of course, they've had prepared food buffet bars for years. Um, The store here in Philadelphia uh, moved locations, reopened in the last year, and they've added several. Well, it's a food hall that they call it. It's basically a food court, but I guess food hall is slightly better branding. Yeah, right. Um, but the the restaurants that they have in there are impressive. They're some of the hippest top restaurants uh, in this in the city. I mean, for sort of quick serve formats, Diesengoff, right. uh, Wizkid. I ate at a noodle bar there yesterday. It's it's really good stuff. Uh, Chris, how have you kind of uh, reacted to all all of this? And and you've done some research looking into this, correct? Yes, actually, I've been talking about this for um, almost two decades because it's the the natural occurrence of the merger or convergence of markets and restaurants, um, and trying to figure out what's going to be in in the middle. Uh, it goes back, you know, both sides have tried to figure out how to do this, not with a lot of success, and so it's it's an interesting. Uh, interesting problem because the supermarket people come from a, t- a place where logistics and production is is their mindset they they want uh, the consumer to have a high production knowledge you have to know what to do with a raw chicken to, to be able to buy a raw chicken right where the the restaurant side comes with a high connoisseurship or finished product mindset and it's less about logistics and more about experience management. And so uh, we need to know that you know, you know what a chicken cordon bleu is in order to buy it. Uh, and those two mindsets are so diametrically opposed that neither of them has been able to figure out how to make that middle range, that conversion space, really work very well. So the you know, like Wegmans in, in the Philadelphia market has a number of full-service restaurants. They've been kind of a leader in moving in this direction. Uh, they know how to do buffets really well. They know how to do sandwiches and pizzas, uh, basically a fast, casual thing. But that, that full-service fine dining piece has been very elusive to, to supermarkets. And realistically, Jason, when you think about the, the mind of the consumer, uh, they're probably not necessarily wanting that that kind of assembly line type of restaurant experience. They want to have something a little bit more. So this is an investment 
that these grocery chains are, are really having to, you know, this is something probably 10 years ago that some of these didn't even consider that they would have to add in as a piece to their operation. Yeah, and it's not just about the food, as Chris said, it's about the experience. And experience is a difficult thing to really get right. And I think this is why Whole Foods, another one of the leaders in this space, is going with these local branded restaurants with known chefs uh, to the foodie community to kind of bolster their credentials in this space so that the consumer comes in with that second kind of mindset that Chris was describing, one of the one of the connoisseur. Uh, who, who knows what they're looking for. And Whole Foods can hopefully pick up on some of that uh, brand cachet. Right. And from the point of view of the rest, the local chains going in there, um, you know, w- with a partner like Whole Foods that gives them a, a little bit of national exposure, uh, they don't necessarily get to go into other chains around the country, but it's, a, it's an opportunity to get uh, connected with a high-end national brand. So there is a little bit of synergy there, just how the economics work, who gets what share of margin and what the exact terms are, um, that'll kind of drive the success of it. Does that partnership become even more interesting with Amazon buying Whole Foods? Yeah, I think potentially it does. Um, but it's it's sort of a different side of the business, right? I mean, yeah. those restaurants are they they're going to depend on ex- on on existing foot traffic going in and more of it. Um, um, you know, Amazon doesn't want to cut food uh, walk in traffic. They certainly want to get more deliveries going. Yeah. Um, but they need to play both sides of it. Well, Chris, when you when you look at the model, is it at this point? I mean, I would think they're gearing a majority uh, of these restaurants to towards the dinner crowd. Uh, you know, people come in, get your dinner. Obviously, they're going to be using product from the the the, the grocery itself. Uh, have dinner, come in, and then if you need to go get groceries afterwards, go pick them up and head home. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things uh, you know, from a consumer's uh, behavior or psychology standpoint, if you think. Uh, where's the freshest food? Uh, we think it's in the in the supermarket. It, that's where the, the produce is fresher, and and good uh, merchandising uh, allows us to think that's in fact where the food should be coming from. Where's the freshest fish? Where's the freshest meat? Is in the in the supermarkets, Whole Foods or or Wegmans or um, Lucky's or any any of the others. And so uh, logically, we would say, well, if I want the freshest fish. I should go where I can see it, and I'll say it. Give me that piece. Or, you know, they cook lobsters for us now, and 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 so that there is that natural consumer desire to do that. But at the same time, the fight against that is why would I go to where I buy my food to to have dinner? Um, and uh, it's a it, there's this uh, push pull. It's a paradox, basically. Uh, but you know, if we use Eataly, there's not an Eataly in the in the Philadelphia area, but but I think most people in the in the United States are familiar with it now because they're in Chicago and New York. Um, that started as a retailer's space in northern Italy. Uh, Farinetti said we're, we're going to start putting sit down places and and stalls to eat in our in our retail space. When it moved to the States, it switched from a retailer putting in restaurants to a, a restaurant focus with retail. And so the Italy in New York City is is basically um, an $80 million food hall uh, that you happen to buy some specialty Italian food products in. Uh, the one here in Boston is going to do $90 million. Uh, but you go there with the idea that, yes, it's not a, it is a place I'll go for lunch, for dinner, for breakfast, for coffee. 
Uh, and I'll also bring some groceries home, but I'm not doing my grocery shopping there. I'm still going next door to the star market or to the stop and shop. But but the millennials are the ones that are that are driving this because of, uh, of the mindset that they have, and obviously the change that they've brought on a variety of different levels. But but here in the grocery chain as well. Yeah, and and I think that one of the things that's that, you know there's so many com- uh, complex layers here. So when you talked about Amazon. Uh, Amazon's uh, an interesting thing because they do, you know, they've tried to get the delivery of anything down to a dollar. So they've started their Amazon stores to try to speed things up. One of the things is they've always talked about how do we get the last mile? How do we get from the warehouse to the front door? For the restaurant business, we're always about uh, the last uh, three feet or the last square meter because everything in a restaurant is a person serving something, whether it's a McDonald's uh, counter, the drive through window, or the waiter at the fine dining restaurant. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very intimate three-foot space. And so we're, we're seeing this sort of conflict of how do we get the food to the front door. So it's the delivery piece is very important. And for Amazon, it's it's how do we change the cost structure? Because the most expensive part of the Amazon piece is getting it to the door. For the restaurants, it's how do we get to the customer who's too lazy to come into the restaurant now? It's become a big issue. So here's the supermarket trying to figure out both things. How do we get customers to come into the restaurant or to, to dine with us so that we drive uh, higher foot traffic to sell more product? Uh, and it's also a profitability issue. Uh, I don't mean to go on too long with this, but, no, but if you think about the supermarket, there, you know, when you go into a supermarket, there's a wet and a dry side. Uh, the yep. wet side is is all the stuff that's typically on the perimeter. So you have to you know, traditionally you go to the back of the store for milk and eggs, uh, and for for fish and everything else, because all the grocery stuff is in the middle of the store, the dry stuff. There's very little profit margin in a supermarket. Average is around one percent. Uh, where restaurants while they're not the most profitable places, generally are between 8 and 12%. So the supermarket guys say, hey, we can be in that. Look, at we're going to make so much more money on the prepared food side. Wegmans really started it with about 40% of their store in a prepared food mindset uh, because they can get higher margins on it. Uh, so they, they're using that prepared food piece to entice people into the store. Where Amazon is is looking at Whole Foods as a distribution system, yep. logistics, how can we get people to go into the store so that we don't have to deliver to the front door anymore, but when we do deliver to the front door, we get a higher margin. And, and if you take the millennial piece, people moving back into the city, uh, into smaller spaces, one, what everybody's starting to realize is, why should I go to the supermarket and, and lug home uh, heavy water-based or boxes of stuff when Amazon is much more efficient yeah. about getting it to me, I'll bring home the specialty stuff, the prepared foods, fresh vegetables, uh, the stuff that I want that I know is perishable. And so that's where the magic is going to happen. And so uh, the prepared food side can grow because I'm going to stop at the, at the Whole Foods in my neighborhood and pick up a, a whole chicken. Matter of fact, I just we did that the other night. Um, uh, we bought one of their rotisserie chickens. It's two dollars less than it used to be. It was nine ninety nine at Whole Foods. Right now, it's seven ninety nine. And and so, is that a restaurant meal or is that a meal prepared at home? And, and from Technomics and NPD, that was a meal prepared at home because I bought it at Whole Foods. It was a fully cooked rotisserie chicken. Right. Uh, if, but if I bought it at KFC or Boston Market, it would have been a restaurant meal. We're, the, everything's blurring in the middle here. But there's there's so many drivers, and the consumer behavior piece of this is how, who's going to come up with the, the magic to both drive foot traffic 
and uh, change the distributions. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Love to hear from you, especially if you have eaten at one of these locations in the recent past. Give us your kind of restaurant review, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can join us via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Actually, one of our, our listeners on Twitter, uh, Chris, uh, uh, asks us, uh, Jeff, he goes, what kind of ambiance is there in a grocery store? <laughs> well, that's uh, that's one of the questions. I, I keep coming back to Wegmans because they have the pub in the, um, in, you know, so you and you go to uh, Rochester, where they're based, or you go to the King of Prussia, uh, where they have a, a beautiful um, pub restaurant. It's very nice. It's, it's delightful. Uh, they make a lot of effort to, to make the dining space very comfortable in many of their new stores. Um, and, you know, if you go to Italy, the restaurants inside the stores are, are you know, the decor is, is spectacular. Uh, they have upscale steakhouses selling $60 steaks and fresh fish <laughs> restaurants. It's, uh, they, they're no different than they would be on a uh, street level. Or if you went into, you know, a, a restaurant in a hotel, it's an interior space that you can or really make delightful. So the ambiance can be done. It's whether or not they can hire the staff. And they're good at hiring chefs because the prepared food has been 20 years or so uh, has been in increasing uh, in the display cases. It's, it's the service component that's hard for them. Jason? Yeah, the ambience at the Whole Foods here in Philadelphia, it re really has the feel of, uh, of an old food counter or lunch counter. Um, it Horn wasn't Horn and Hard Arts. Right. There's a yes. name from the past. It, yes. wa it wasn't bustling enough. I was there at 11, 11.30. It wasn't bustling enough yet to right. really have that feel, but I right. think that's part of what they're hoping for. And there are many different kinds of ambiance that one might want to set, but I think the, you know, the, the Twitter comments point about getting that ambiance uh, right and what would it be like in a supermarket um, is fair enough. It's, you know, it, it's hard to make a supermarket cozy, and sometimes that's what you want in a restaurant. But, the, you know, they are still experimenting with formats, and I, and I do think there's a piece here that has maybe not been figured out yet. In these large supermarkets, Chris made the point, you know, as they move into cities, they're looking to take a smaller footprint. They may evolve into something that's much more like a showroom where you can go in and see a whole bunch of different products, especially packaged products that you're not familiar with and see what's new and then have it delivered to your home later. Uh, right. You don't want to be carrying that stuff home. The fruits, the vegetables, the meat, the fish, that stuff you're ready to take with you because you're probably going to be eating it fairly soon. Uh, so I think these hybrid models would work very well in smaller footprint uh, showroom type stores. I haven't seen that yet. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. We are speaking with Jason Reese, who's a lecturer here at the Wharton School in the Marketing Department. Uh, Chris Muller, who is at uh, Boston University, professor there in the School of Hospitality Administration. 844-942-7866, especially if you're somebody that's actually going to have, or had have, I should say, dinner at one of these restaurants in a grocery store in the recent past. Give us your experience. 844-942-7866. The other part of this, Jason, that I think we need to discuss is the impact, potentially, over you know growth as these do tend to build up, what the impact of these restaurants and these locations are on places like Applebee's, Chili's, the you know the other restaurants out there, which are kind of going through a transitional period anyway in terms of the, the amount of customers that they're having in their in their locations. 
Yeah, it's just added pressure on them. I mean, those middle market chains are the ones who've really been struggling in the restaurant industry. There are lots of bright lights in the restaurant industry, generally coming at the high end, especially in cities and in fast casual. Um, those casual dining chains are struggling. Um, some of them may look to partner with uh, supermarkets, grocery stores. It's not clear that those stores uh, would want them. It's not clear that they bring enough of the, the brand cachet uh, that, that they might need. Chris? Yeah, I, actually, uh, that's an interesting piece because we, we talk about millennials, but the millennial generation is, is aging out of uh, some of the things that we just sort of assume they, they're doing. Uh, they, they drove the cocktail business. They drove the, the um, craft beer business. They're very big in, in uh, helping with um, moving us into the fast casual business. That's mm -hmm. their, their demographic, just like the baby boom generation was the casual theme business. Um, and wh what we're seeing now is that, that as that cohort ages out, starts to get married, they're going to start having kids, their dining habits are going to change dramatically. And so fast casual is going to, is going to have to change. And as this, this group of people that are now 24 and under start to come into the market, they're looking for a very different kind of dining experience. Uh, and one of it is delivery. Uh, I, I just taught a class of 50 kids uh, when I asked them how many of them get delivery, 100% of them get food delivered to their dorm, which typically mm. adds 40 or 50% or to the cost of the item. And they, don't, they, they couldn't even tell me how much that, that was. That's going to be a challenge for restaurants uh, that we're not uh, seeing. You combine that with the supermarkets who are now saying, we want to be in that space as well. Um, up until about three years ago, the restaurant business since World War II ate into the dining uh, dollars of supermarkets. For the last three, four years, supermarkets have finally switched that, and they're, they're, they're taking some of it back. Um, and so this is a, a, an enormously uh, impactful middle ground here. You know, you're talking uh, $800, million, $800 billion in restaurants and another $800 billion in supermarkets. And the, the middle range, uh, fighting over who gets to be 50% or 49% is an enormous amount of business uh, that they all want. Jason, you mentioned a moment ago about craft beers. And I, I'd be interested when you your experience that you had at the Whole Foods the other day. Um, can you see craft beer makers in cities wanting to have that type of a partnership with a location like this? especially considering a lot of the craft beer makers want to have their own restaurant piece to begin with. I mean, that's kind of been the branch off of the off of the craft beer industry. Yeah, but the, I mean, the, the craft beers are only going to have so many locations. They're not going to have uh, you know, the, the, the penetration that okay. uh, the supermarkets do. So they may, may well be quite happy to uh, to get in there. I, you know, at the Whole Foods I went to, um, there is a whole pub and beer counter. Now at 1130, it was it was empty. So I could choose my seat. Right. Um, I don't know how busy it gets at night. But I, I mean, I was interested in Chris's point, which was that this millennial generation we think of as young and they are still young. They're not going to be young forever. Yeah. And his point is they may well age out of consumption categories like beer and fast casual uh, into casual dining. And it, and it will be interesting to see how the casual dining industry adjusts. Um, you know, it's one trend that we would not expect the millennials to age out of is their increased consumption of vegetables. Uh, there is some, some increase there. We hear them talk a lot about health um, and organic. Um, organic is not a great predictor of health, but vegetable consumption is. We'll see if the casual dining restaurants can, uh, can adapt to that changed objective, because that's one you would not expect them to age out of. Right. Uh, the chain Red Lobster has 
found some increased traction with millennials, um, <laughs> perhaps part partly because fish and seafood is considered to be a healthy category. Chris? Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and uh, uh, roughly 25% of all college kids live a vegetarian or vegetarian-style lifestyle. Uh, those those habits are, are very hard to break uh, as you you continue to age, uh, and so health is a very big component of it. Um, I, I think that, that, that that's also why the supermarkets are are gaining because they do have this perception of being fresher, wholesome, uh, better for you than Chris, some of the supermarkets. Chris, I mean, a, couple, a couple of the a couple of the stories I saw on this also talked about the fact that that these restaurants, as Jason and you both mentioned, want to have at times that pub style feel to them. I mean, it's almost like they are trying to court themselves to a degree to the happy hour crowd. Yeah. And it's it is it's an interesting component. It 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 the full service component is very problematic for most of the supermarket business. The the uh, display buffets, the submarine sandwiches and pizza, the sort of stuff that you can go into. You know, Publix in the South has has always dominated this this uh, fresh made sandwich business you know, in any of their markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just taste better. But they can't really figure out how to go from that to a sit-down cafe. Uh, the cafe is usually tables in the in the supermarket, where people will stay and linger uh, because they bought something that's that has a self-service component to it. Um, and I do think that happy hour piece. Uh, you know, I think of the Wegmans and King of Prussia has this beautiful outside dining uh, space with a fire pit and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, there is a reason to go there. You buy a six-pack of beer and sit and drink with your friends. But it's a, it's still problematic. Uh, and I think that this will be the, the test is because we're also seeing less people going to that mid-scale casual theme footfall in, in the regular restaurant. Uh, so it's – you know, the one last uh, – last idea with this is we're we're talking about Whole Foods and Wegmans and this sort of upmarket urban environment. Mm-hmm. The biggest change in the supermarket business is the introduction of, of the German Lidl and Aldi, uh, who will, in the next three years, build enough uh, low-end discount, heavily price-sensitive commodity stores to take away 10 to 15 percent of the existing business in supermarkets. They're looking at 60 to $80 billion in sales mm. by building 2,000 stores. Uh, all the one division of all the owns Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's isn't really in the, the, the this uh, prepared food space. It's almost all frozen and packaged stuff. Um, what will happen is there'll be enormous price pressure on the traditional supermarkets in most places. They're going to try to figure out how to get people back in by, and they're going to they're going to see very very high. high pressure on, on price, which means they're going to have to look for other things, and maybe the restaurant is how they do it. Chase? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, they're going to try the restaurants. We just have to hope uh, for them that it's not a not sort of a Hail Mary, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, low probability way of getting um, getting re- revenue in. You hope there's a real model there, and, mm-hmm. you know, I know a little bit more about the, the urban models and in the suburbs, um, maybe the dynamic is a little bit different where people are used to Driving to restaurants um, yeah. and the casual chains certainly still have some some presence there. So, and, and what they really yeah. want is they want J- people like Jason to come in and drink beer at eleven o'clock in the morning in the supermarket. <laughs> you do that, right, Jason? It was a one-off. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then I guess the next question is, Chris, how then do the do the the grocery chains take this and build off it? You know, what's the next step in the process for them? 
I, I think the, the prepared foods, uh, more like a catering or a takeaway business with high-end chefs. And, um, you know, there's a, a Wegmans here in Chestnut Hill that does uh, a, a more business in their sushi sto- uh, store inside than most independent sushi restaurants do in the entire state. And I think that's where you're going to see it. You're going to see them focus on the things they can do well, which is shelf-stable, prepared meals with uh, a re-thermalization option at home. Uh, and uh, or people coming in and eating off of their very high-end buffets and paying by the pound, you know, eight nine dollars a pound, and having a sit-down section. That's that's the sweet spot. I think this trying to compete with a full-service uh, elegance is is rarefied and is not the where the future is going to be. Jason, yeah, it's it it seems like a tough play. I agree. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, Jason. All the best. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Chris, great to have you on the phone with us today. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Christopher uh, Muller from uh, Boston University. Jason Reese from right here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 